all, today on AM to DM, we have Soledad O'Brien and Danica Patrick. Plus, we're debating the best movies of the past decade. We'll see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Zach Safford. She's Alex Berg, and you are watching AM to DM. I am very excited to talk to Soledad O'Brien. I thought you were going to say I'm really excited it's Friday. I am also really excited it's Friday. <laughs> I'm pumped to talk to Soledad, icon, legend, you know, yeah. possibility model, um, and that's going to be a fun time, but I'm also happy it's Friday. I know. I too. I am ready for it. <laughs> These news cycles, I was thinking about it this morning. I go, has it only been a few days of yeah. news? Like, oh, yeah. this life just keeps going and going, so. Indeed. It has only been a few days of news. Oh, God. Yeah. But we're here to get you through it. We are. Here's a tweet from from I Am Fashion, the theme for the 2020 Met Gala is about time, fashion and duration. The inspiration comes from the 1992 Sally Potter film Orlando. The co-chairs for the gala will be Nicola Jesquier, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Meryl Streep, Emma Stone, and Anna Wintour. And here's a treat from Natalie Walker. The Met Gala theme is time and fashion, and I would do Reese Witherspoon's looks in Pleasantville with one half of me in color in 1998 and half of me black and white in the 50s, but I will not be invited. So that's an idea I just gave her team for free. Okay, so this basically means that Meryl Streep has to show up as her Miranda Priestly character from yes. The Devil Wears Prada, which is a composite character of Anna Wintour. Exactly, because that's really <laughs> playing with time and space and fashion right there. And this is actually Meryl Streep's very first Met Gala. Which ever. is wild to me. I just can't. You would think after she was nominated for an Oscar for that role, correct? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I can't. We'll fact check I, yeah, that for yeah, you. Yeah. I think she got a little nomination because she gets one for everything. Yeah. But she has never been to the Met Gala. And I would think that would have been the first move after the Devil Wears Prada, but it wasn't. I know. But also think about a role that has like withstood the test of time. So if we're doing a time theme, I yes. feel like people would really like that kind of situation. Yeah. The first look I thought of, I was like, I would dress up as one of the melting clocks in a Salvador Dali oh, painting. That would be cute to have a little cocktail. Add, add a little cocktail and a, the, just a clock, a melting clock with a cocktail. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know what I would dress up as, but I'm feeling something like very Virginia Woolf because this is based off of her novel Orlando. Um, but I think I would just be Tilda Swinton in the movie Orlando. Or Quentin Crisp, who plays Elizabeth I. Oh, my god. I would gosh. be Quentin Crisp. There's a lot of gender nonconformity happening yes. in this movie. I didn't really know anything about this movie even before this theme, I have to it say. It messes with your head, but it was Tilda Swinton's breakout role. So it is part of the canon of why Tilda Swinton is so important to all of us. You know, I have to say, it, I feel like it's going to be a lot of very high fashion, whereas last year was mm -hmm. camp. Yeah. And I, like, I loved camp so much because I also feel like it's very relatable. Yes. Like, everyone can have fun and find something mm -hmm. in camp. Uh, we'll see what we'll happens. See. We'll, we'll see. We'll we see have some months. It's, yes. a, it's a little bit away. We, so got time. we got some time. Let's take it to the timeline. If you were invited to the 2020 Met Gala, what would you wear? Tweet us using the hashtag am to dm A clock. <laughs> On the nose. Well, here's a tweet from Meet the Press. Michael Bloomberg is expected to file for the Alabama 2020 presidential primary. A source close to Bloomberg says he's expected to file paperwork this week designating himself as a candidate in at least one state. Here's a tweet from New Day. Representative Ro Khanna on former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg potentially entering the presidential race, quote, I don't think he has progressive economic ideas. And frankly, I just don't think this country needs another billionaire running for political office. Ooh, fighting words. Joining us now to discuss is BuzzFeed News politics editor Matt Berman. Good morning. Morning. So Bloomberg has not announced yet, but why is there so much speculation that he will jump in the race today? Sure. So you know, he actually did announce back in March that he would not be running for president. <laughs> so uh, there's been like some murmuring over the last few weeks and some of his advisors kind of suggesting that maybe he might be changing his mind uh, in part uh, as a reflection of 
how he sees the race going right now and, and how uh, he thinks he can contribute. And uh, just, you know, we're, we're at a point right now where people really need to decide for sure, like Bloomberg and anybody else might be considering it. So uh, today, as, as you guys were just saying, there's a, a deadline in Alabama if you want to get on the ballot there. Next week, even more important, there's a deadline to get on the ballot in New Hampshire. So this is really the time if, if anybody is uh, looking to make a last-minute decision. Do you have a sense of how the Democratic Party feels about a last-minute Bloomberg run? You know, it's he occupies a really interesting and odd space in the Democratic Party. So he's only actually been a Democrat for a little over a year now. He made he registered as a Democrat in 2018. But he also has just been spending tons and tons and tons of money on Democratic causes, especially gun control. Uh, just this week in the uh, elections on Tuesday, he, through his group Every Town for Gun Safety, uh, spent over $2 million on state legislative races in Virginia, which helped to turn the, uh, the legislature there to Democratic control. So there are a lot of people in the party who do really respect him and appreciate the kind of work he's been doing. But he also, you know, was first elected as a Republican not too long ago. Mm. Well, Bloomberg decided not to run earlier this year, and there was speculation that the reason behind it was that Joe Biden was going to run. Why has that changed now? Because Joe Biden looks pretty vulnerable. Uh, you know, I, 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 I think that Mike Bloomberg, like a whole lot of other people looking at the race, can see what polls look like, and you can see how it, what once looked like a pretty strong frontrunner's lead for Joe Biden has really slipped. And you see people like Bernie Sanders sticking around and, you know, the second, third kind of position, and Elizabeth Warren rising up. And, and those are people who are just ideologically vastly different from Mike Bloomberg. Hmm. Well, remind us a little bit of uh, how did people like Mike Bloomberg while he was actually mayor of New York City? Yeah, sure. So he was mayor for three terms, which is, you know, was reasonably un unprecedented. And he uh, put forward a whole lot of proposals that, like, got picked up in other places around the country when you're talking about things like uh, smoking bans indoors or... Uh, you know, um, calorie counts at, at restaurants. And those are actually programs that, like, while made fun of as being sort of nanny state, or actually were pretty popular by the time he left. Um, but he does have a, a, a real gap in terms of his approval between white people in New York City and uh, black people in New York City, uh, which, you know, you can look at policies like stop and frisk policing uh, that could be partially responsible for that. Interesting. Well, Matt, if he does announce today, how will his move to do so destabilize the current field? You know, Warren and Buttigieg are seeing a lot of gains right now, but I feel like another high-profile person could really rock that. Sure. You know, it's it's hard to, to say for sure until it actually happens, but you've already seen Elizabeth Warren especially come out swinging uh, at the idea of getting to run against another billionaire. Um, you know, part of the relationship with them has been, like, Bloomberg going against her wealth tax, kind of comparing it to socialism and what countries like Venezuela do earlier this year. And she's eager for that fight. Bernie Sanders is eager for that fight. Uh, Pete Buttigieg has been making a real generational argument for a lot of his candidacy. And Mike Bloomberg is older than Joe Biden. Oh. Hmm. One of the first things I thought uh, when I saw this was that, uh, you know, uh, Bloomberg is a rich guy from New York. We know somebody else like that, Trump. Um, beyond those similarities, uh, it, uh, do they have any other similarities? Uh, what are the major differences between them? I mean, they they know how to work New York media in, in their own different ways. I think like they, they both have had really contentious relationships with the press, but uh, enjoy talking with them a lot of the time. Um, they also, you know, in terms of their businesses, uh, Bloomberg LP is something that Bloomberg really built up. And 
like Trump, it has his name all over it, but uh, it's it comes from a kind of different place of uh, self-creation in a way that uh, Trump can't really say for his own company. Mm, self-creation. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. Thank you for having me. Here's a tweet from Will Summer. The judge in Roger Stone's trial is warning people to not try and identify the jurors. Meanwhile, two of Stone's closest associates spent yesterday trying to out one of the potential jurors live on InfoWars. Here's another from Will. As Roger Stone's trial enters its third day, Stone ally Alex Jones is stepping up his threats to out the Stone jurors and expose them to her harassment from the InfoWars audience. Will is a tech and internet reporter at The Daily Beast and joins us now. Good morning. Hey, thanks for having me. So back us up for a second. Um, Why is Roger Stone on trial? Right. So Roger Stone is on trial for uh, he's accused of obstruction of justice and uh, witness intimidation uh, in relation to the Mueller investigation or excuse me, into the House uh, Intelligence Committee's investigation into the Trump campaign in Russia. Basically, they're saying he he misled the investigators. And so now he's on trial for that. And why is Alex Jones so obsessed with this trial? Right. So, I mean, the the key thing to understand here is that Alex Jones is really sort of a key Roger Stone ally. Um, Until recently, Roger Stone hosted a show on InfoWars. uh, And and so they're really close. And so now we're seeing Alex Jones really sort of rev up the attempt to suggest that this trial is illegitimate. Uh, For a long time, he's been attacking the judge in the case. But this week, he really stepped up an attack on one of the potential jurors uh, in in what to me is pretty clearly, uh, you know, making clear that... uh, that he's willing to go after the jurors in a, in a very unusual way. Yeah, so talk to us a little bit more about how he has been revving up the attacks. Uh, what did he do on his show? Right, so the first juror, the first potential juror who was interviewed uh, said she used to work for the Obama administration in the Office of Management and Budget and that her husband worked for the DOJ, uh, Justice Department. And so uh, this kind of like created big ripples in the right-wing media because they, they said, well, this person clearly can't be trusted. You know, they need to be struck, stricken from the jury. Uh, as it turned out, they eventually did not make this, this woman did not make it onto the jury. But nevertheless, uh, Alex Jones has sort of been carrying on like she is on the jury, uh, has been claiming that, uh, you know, first there was this he was kind of running down a list of Obama administration officials and trying to get another stone associate to confirm or deny who this woman was. Uh, and then uh, yesterday, or excuse me, two days ago, he he blasted. He has the wrong person. I mean, that's kind of the key thing to understand. First of all, like I was in the courtroom, I know who this person is. It's not the person he thinks it is. And so, but nevertheless, he this person he's convinced it is. He blasts her picture like like ten feet high on his broadcast. He's ranting about how this person's a minion of the deep state. And then he has someone dressed as the Grim Reaper come out with that sickle. Now he claims this is a, a Jeffrey Epstein thing, but. Nevertheless, he has this very menacing character uh, behind him while he's ranting about this woman. So uh, it, it's really sort of unprecedented, I think, um, even for someone like Alex Jones to be going after potential jurors in this way. And what you know drives him to weaponize his reporting, or not reporting, his discussions on his show to attack these people like the juror? Right. I mean, I, 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 obviously that that's in his own head. Obviously, he's revving up his audience. Uh, you know, ultimately, we know Infowars in many ways is just a, an outfit meant to sell uh, brain supplements, nutrition pills. Uh, so there's certainly that kind of suggesting that they're constantly under attack. Uh, but but in, in general, we've seen that, you know, when it comes to like legal issues with either Infowars and Alex Jones or his associates, He's very willing to weaponize his show. Um, Obviously, he's being sued by some of the Sandy Hook families, and he's been going after their attorneys and, you know, just making really outlandish claims about some of their attorneys. So, uh, you know, it's not unheard of for him to sort of 
use real life legal stuff as part of this sort of info war, the info war sort of fake world. Uh, but I think when it, when, it, when it comes to jurors, I think that's especially concerning. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that you said that immediately caught my attention is that even for Alex Jones, this is unprecedented. So what do you think the big takeaway is here? Um, you know, what should be most worrisome to viewers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the fact that he's, he's highlighting this, he, this one potential juror, uh, you know, is concerning, especially when it comes to the fact that we know that his audience is willing to harass people, uh, as we saw with the Sandy Hook families and many other people he's gone after. So, you know, these are people who are just trying to do their civic duty, these these jurors, and suddenly they're facing the possibility of, you know, having their faces uh, blown up and broadcast all across the country with, you know, the, this really uh, this really angry guy ranting about them. Well, I have to say the Roger Stone trial uh, certainly sounds like an interesting thing to be reporting on. So, Will, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, interesting. It's I mean, Chet, like, that's, yeah. I, you know, I would... It says a lot. I don't know if I want to be in that drama of a room or what, but, you know, I'm glad Will is there to bring us that. Indeed, indeed. Well, coming up, we're sitting down with media firebrand Soledad O'Brien. Up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Welcome back, y'all. It's now time for Fire Tweets. Are you ready to spit some fire oh, for the yeah. kids? Always. Always. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Butterfly emoji, you tweeted. Late replies are the worst. You'll text them, I'm sad, and they reply an hour later like, why? Bitch, I'm good now. <laughs> I want to take this opportunity to apologize to every person that has my number because I am the first one to not respond to you for many hours because, you know, I just get busy and forget. The culprit. I'm really the right culprit. Here. <laughs> I also, I think some people do this to each other to like not be the first kind of like, uh, I guess, soldier to your battle in a way to oh, be like, oh, I don't have enough time to like take on your yes. shit. So I'm going to keep it uh, delayed a bit. I'm, I might use that tactic yeah, from now on. It's called avoidance and therapy. Oh, okay, got it. Great, thanks. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, Michael, you tweet it. Hey, quick question. A coworker who's about to give you a week's <laughs> worth of work. See, also, why I don't respond. You're about to give me a bunch right. of shit. See, this is the theme. You're going to throw your emotional labor on me or your actual labor on me, and I'm good. Or it's like literally while you have your bag on, your jacket on, you're walking out of the office, and it's like, hold on, can I just talk to you real quick? And you're like, this is going to be... Especially on a Friday. A while. I'm like, exactly. oh, there's a martini with my name down the street. You are blocking me from him. Amen. <laughs> Existing, you tweeted. People that don't put cases on their phones have the type of confidence I need. And also the wealth I need. And also, I'm sorry, are you covering your face for a reason out here? I would just like to make note, I've been this person for a long time. I recently had to start putting a cover on my phone because Alex Berg broke my cycle of luck to where I never broke a phone, then she mentioned it and then I shattered it. So now, you know, got something on it. I would like to say I was, I was not wrong that you were gonna break that phone. <laughs> So, you, I've only helped you America, your life. <laughs> I think she actually broke it to make a point. But that's Lies. for another thing. HR is handling that now. Okay, so, noted. <laughs> Ashley, Thank you. you. Tweeted. <laughs> Opens up Instagram. Yep, everyone's life is still better than mine. Opens up Twitter. Oh, yes, my fellow sad and lonely community. Twitter is definitely where you go to feel bad. You know? Oh, people, right? It's because you can thread things. Yeah. Because your feelings have emotions and arcs and range. And Instagram, it's like, okay, it's easier to like, Overexposed photo, ice cream, fun. Right. No one looks good crying. Why would you take a photo of it? Right. I, can you imagine uh, an honest Instagram? <laughs> like, Me alone. Would be really, really in sad. bed with my halo top. There you go. Watching reruns of True Blood. Oh, I mean, I think that actually sounds kind of nice. Showing how but... my bumbles run out of matches. That was also great. That is like a whole other segment of fire tweets. Which so we're gonna, we're gonna today. save that story for y'all. <laughs> All right, tweet of the day. Great. This comes from Gazy. Gay culture is being the Samantha of your straight group, but the Charlotte of your gay one. 
This is just a great tweet, and I would like to unpack it out the, uh, for everyone out there who doesn't get it. Mm. Um, it's like, you know, when you're with your straight friends, you're so far ahead of them in terms of the way we think about, like, hooking up, I yes. feel. But then when the gays, it's like the the bar is so much higher. She's like, wow, you saw, you had how many dates this week? I have friends that when they moved to New York went on a date every night with a new person. Straight people are like, girl, I met this one person in high school and stayed with them for 10 years until I left them. I mean, it's a different, yeah, like really different. That's the Samantha to the Charlotte. I think I'm Charlotte all the time. Oh, that's really... I'm not just saying that for my mom who's watching right now. No, I'm going to say like uh, Miranda, who has had a whole second life as someone to aspire to. That's like... I heard that you were calling me a Miranda. No, I'm just saying I would like to be, you know, perhaps more of a Miranda. She's funny, she's pragmatic, she's no bullshit. I can see that. Yeah. 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 She's also queer. There you go. go. So with Samantha, if you don't remember that. Well, anyways, up next, we're talking to Soledad O'Brien about her new documentary. (laughs) tweet from Soledad O'Brien. Quote, I feel like going to college is for people that do have money and the people who don't have money, they can go to college, but they have to suffer throughout the entire experience. That I just don't understand. Joining us now is journalist, host, and producer Soledad O'Brien, executive producer of the new documentary, Hungry to Learn. Welcome. Thank you so much. That quote comes from Eve, the blonde woman you saw there, oh. mm-hmm. who is talking about how hard it is to be a college student. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, she's like, People who have money are supposed to go to college. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have money, you can go, but just know it's going to be a terrible struggle the entire mm. time. And we follow her and three other students as they try to figure out how to financially make it work. Meanwhile, often skipping meals or mm-hmm. just not having any money mm-hmm. to eat at all. Uh, so we called the doc Hungry to Learn so we could kind of see the situation that college students are in. Lots mm. of colleges now have opened food pantries, mm. uh, which is great. And also terrible, yes. right. right? Because, and I think everyone involved uh, recognizes what an amazing resource, yeah. but that it's not really solving the systemic problem, right, mm-hmm. of hungry people on campus. Yeah, and you know, there's over, or not over, but 45% of students report, you know, not having access to food. How is that possible? Right? Well, yeah, and, and the yeah. answer is, it's just really expensive, and college is really expensive, and housing is really expensive, and fees are really, really expensive, and at some point, something's got to give. Many of these students are leaving college, I mean, the students we've been working with, tens of thousand dollars in debt. One, one of the young women we followed is homeless. Mm-hmm. And she has tens of thousand dollars in college debt, and she can't even afford mm. any place to live. And she says, you know, if you're in New York City, the money that you get often for education, like, it's not even enough for the amount that they give you for housing. So mm-hmm. sometimes you just don't eat. Mm. I mean, there's something to me that is so counterintuitive and, and frankly infuriating about the messages that we get about college, right? Like, you have to go to college to advance yourself. And then, uh, you know, these young people are just, tr- uh, you know, struggling tremendously. Um, what impact does hunger and homelessness have on their capacity to even be able to get their degrees? Well, I think for a lot of students, they drop out, right? Because it just becomes untenable. It's impossible to do. It's really hard. To, I mean, we've all been there, right? When you've just missed breakfast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you're kind of leaned on your arm mm-hmm. and then you're leaned on your yeah. head. I mean, you can't learn that way. One of the young men that we followed, we followed four students, uh, is Rotsi. He wants to be in the Air Force. He talks about how he's lost five pounds and, mm-hmm. and, he's, and he has to gain weight and he has to be muscular. I mean, it's part of what he's doing. He and his friends will send notes about, like, the physics department is having sandwiches after a lecture so that they can all go and get food 
because that's one way that they can get their one meal a day. A sandwich sometimes, if you go to these campuses, because they've kind of created this arms race, mm -hmm. right? The amazing gym, the, you know, and yeah. the amazing cafeteria. It's not like the cafeterias that I went to when I was in school yeah. where someone like slops stuff on your plate. Yeah, yeah. You know, you now have panini option and sushi option and, you know, it, it becomes very, very expensive. $12 for a sandwich is really out of reach for a lot of students. Mm. And the schools have to know that's the truth for so many people. So why are they not making it easier and why is the government not intervening? <sighs> I think those are both great questions mm -hmm. and maybe part of the solution. I think a lot of schools are trying to figure it out, but they also are trying to deal with rising fees, right? How do you figure out how to pay for all of this? And again, you need the great cafeteria because as the students trudge through as they're looking for colleges, I'm in the middle of that now, mm -hmm. I guarantee you they walk you through, look at, you know, my daughter's like, wow, Chipotle? here, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, can we see the academic center? <laughs> right. But, but so part of it is they need to have those, those um, s you know, setups and systems in order to, to mm. keep and, and get students. That's part of it. The government does have SNAP, but you have to work 20 hours a week. Mm. So, you know. It's more burden on them. Well, and if you're a student who's struggling, an added 20 hours in a job yeah. is yeah. problematic. There's, there's no such system where you could say, well, students maybe should have an out from that. Yeah. Maybe it should be five hours. Maybe it should be nothing. Maybe they should, for the next four years, actually get SNAP, get access to food stamps, yeah. and not have to work. I mean, there's a lot of solutions. Real College, uh, Sarah Goldrick-Rab is in our doc, and, and she runs Real College, and I think she's trying to help people come up with solutions that are not just, hey, there's an amazing food pantry. Oh, my gosh, we got more food to the food pantry, yep. but systemic Like, fixes. you should not have to rely on the kindness of others to get through. Right. Right, and thank God for the kindness of yes, others. Yes, thank right? God for the kindness of others, but it should not both, be, yes. But, it, but it, it's a systemic problem, and systemic problems are rarely mm -hmm. solved by, oh, somebody made a donation, that's mm -hmm. amazing, we're good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that and way. And you mentioned Sarah's work, but are there, or are, are the schools relying on outside individuals to solve this problem instead of doing the work themselves? No, I think they're trying to figure it out. I, listen, I think step one for many was just knowing the data. Sarah's the mm -hmm. one who actually did the surveys where you find this. I think a lot of people in schools thought, yeah, there's always people struggling. Yeah, we probably have a handful of students, maybe a, a few students. Sarah's the one who looked at the data and actually polled, got schools to be part of polling, wow. and found that it's 50%. Wow. 50% wow. are food insecure at some point in over 30 days. So once you have that data, then step one, okay, they got a pantry. But again, it's like the next level of systemic fixes that I think needs to happen. And that's policy, right? That's, yeah, yeah. That's voting, that's policy, that's how we think about, you know, who, how our government works yeah. and yeah. what they support. Yeah. Well, we're so glad that uh, this documentary will hopefully, uh, you know, uh, incite people to have more of these conversations. Um, but since we have you here, we really wanted to talk to you about uh, some other topics that are sure. in the news. And I actually, I want to start off um, with something that you tweeted, and you tweeted a few times about CNN hiring Sean Duffy as a contributor, <laughs> um, and including saying, quote, it is a terrible thing that CNN hires these folks. Why do you think they keep making decisions like this? Because I think the goal is to have conflict, and conflict mm -hmm. is relatively cheap, right? So you need this person to argue with this person. I was actually tweeting this morning about your show, and I like the way you guys have a lot of context, right? Mm -hmm. You started your last interview with, step back. Who are these players anyway, right? Let's explain the field to people. If you don't need to do context and you don't need to mm -hmm. explain things, you just need 
fighter A and fighter B. Mm-hmm. So you need someone who's going to be scrappy. I mean, it's not surprising that Sean Duffy is going to say something inappropriate right. and terrible. Right. You know yeah. what you're getting. What I object to is that a journalistic organization yeah. would fund him, right? They're paying his salary. That's insane. But this is where we are. The show that I do, uh, Matter of Fact, which is a syndicated show, you know, we stop putting people on who would fight with each other. We only do, like, what is the story about? The housing crisis. Here's a guy, here's a situation, and we follow him through the situation. It's not left versus right and people mm. screaming at each other. I don't think that educates anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, speaking of fighting, you know, the presidential race is continuing. <laughs> and today, Michael Bloomberg is... A- <laughs> That's such a segue. Speaking of fighting, we're back oh, to we're here. 2020. Yeah. 2020, you know, we got your segues here at BuzzFeed AM to DM. But, you know, Michael Bloomberg is reportedly filing to run for president in 2020. Yeah, I watched that segment you guys had on. And, I, you know, I think a couple of things that are missing from that is Michael Bloomberg, if you look at his support among... Uh, African-Americans, mm-hmm. Latinos, uh, Muslims in New York. Go calculate those numbers mm-hmm. and come mm-hmm. back to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I like Michael Bloomberg a lot. I mean, I think he's a super smart guy. Mm-hmm. His daughter rides horses, so I love her. Uh, <laughs> I love horses. But I, I think people are not calculating the degree to which he's going to have an issue, particularly around his um, uh, stop and frisk in New York yep. City. And if you Google some of the things that he said about stop and frisk, mm. I'll paraphrase something like, I should be arresting more black and Latino mm-hmm. young men. Like, mm. that's going to be problematic only if you want to win the votes of black and Latino people mm. who, oops, they make up a big chunk of the Democratic Party, which is he's running as a Democrat. Mm. So, you know, I think there's a lot of love for Michael Bloomberg. One, he's sane mm-hmm. right there. The bar, the bar seems to be so low these Far days, you know? Yeah. He's not insane, so <laughs> I like him. Uh, and, and I actually think he's smart, and I, I really enjoyed him as mayor of New York City. Mm. I think if you look at his exit polling, you'd see not as impressive as it should be. And I know some people are concerned about, well, how will he do in the you know, suburbs of Ohio, et cetera, et cetera. I think you have to look at how did he do among Democrats in New York. Mm. It's, it's a challenge. And so I, you know, I, I wish people with a lot of money and maybe one day I'll be a billionaire and I'll just go, I'll be like, jumping into the presidential. I'd be like, oh, oh that's, yeah, like, yeah. Yes. that's a lie. Yeah. I want to be president. <laughs> yes. but, but I mean, there's so many things you could do. So for example, you could put a ton of money into actually ensuring that people who have the right to vote can vote, right? Removing yeah, obstacles. Yes, yes. What's that? Like a couple hundred million? Right. That would be good. Yeah. You could say, you know who's a great candidate? These people here. Let's bolster them. I'm not even going to name the people. Like whoever you like, yeah. Yeah. you could support them. You could do so many things that would be helpful to people with your goo gobs of money mm. versus just like, so the answer has to be me. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. I am the solution yes. to it all. And I say that really, really liking Mayor Bloomberg, although we did argue, I did a doc on Stop and Frisk, mm-hmm. uh, which he did not participate in. And um, and we argued, actually, at a friend's cocktail party. We had an argument about those really? very quotes. <laughs> oh, that's why I remember those quotes. Oof, yeah. My poor friend was like, could you not do this in my living room? <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, so before, you know, I mean. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, we've been playing this game around the decade. You know, we're ending one. We want to look back at what's been popular, what people really loved. And for you, what has been a standout moment for the past 10 years? For the past 10 years. You know, God. just right on the spot right now. All right. So <laughs> so we're looking at 2010. It's all a blur. I it, go it back is. To, you know, I was trying to think about the Met Gala. I was like, what would I go at? Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't be a 2010 to 2020. Okay. It would be like the 1980s, which were terribly amazing fashion-wise. <laughs> like, right? Um, I don't know what's this. I don't know. I, I, you know. 
My life has been sucked into the horrible vortex that is politics. And so if I have to remember anything from it, it's where people really lost their guts. People who talk mm. about um, their morals and their values and, mm -hmm. and, and purport to stand for things when they run for election scurry around like little chickens when it actually push mm. comes to shove and they need to stand up for something. Mm -hmm. I'm not a perfect person. You know, my children were here. They'd be like, <laughs> like she mom. is not a perfect person. <laughs> but like, if you believe something, you stand up for it. I have tried yeah. to do that in the work that I do. I mean, like, it's not, not so hard. So I, I think the, I think it's a disappointing message, certainly for the last few years of like, if you, if you stand for something, then stand for it. Say, mm. this is wrong, this is bad, this person is not good. Mm -hmm. Those voices are missing right now, and I'm kind of pissed about it, actually. Oh my gosh, well, so mm. that I hope people take that message into the next decade. Oh God, yes. we need more of that. Well, or maybe you. just yeah, unicorns and joy and happiness, because we won't need that message, because people will all be good, see? I, I, that would also be optimist. wonderful. Optimist. That would also be wonderful. Oh, so yeah. Unlikely, but optimistic. Yes. I always forget you guys have this orange couch, so I always wear, like, red. It's, a it's a, it, uh, This is a challenging color to dress <laughs> too, but I think you are, you're killing you look great. it. Yeah. You look great. Well, thank you so much for being here today. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. thank you. Of course. And you can see Hungry Children premiere at Doc NYC tomorrow and this coming Monday. More MTDMs up next. Here's a tweet from The Independent. Jeff Goldblum defends Woody Allen. I think there is a presumption of innocence until proven guilty. Here's a tweet from Jen Ag quoting Goldblum. Even though I feel like the Me Too movement is very positive and long overdue, and I support it wholeheartedly and take it very seriously, I also admire his body of work. So I would consider working with him again until I learned more. LOL, shut up, Jeff. Here's a tweet from Angus Johnston. Jeff Goldblum can say what he wants and work with whom he wants, but to suggest that it's unknowable whether Woody Allen is a repulsive human being with a decades-long history of sexual predation is vacuous, fatuous, and insulting. Whew. So, those, yeah. Those last three words, vacuum. I mean. <laughs> she said, pop, pop, pop. Indeed. Ugh. Yeah, so uh, can we just like unpack all of this oh, for I'd a second? Um, because I don't think that you can say you wholeheartedly support the Me Too movement and then go on to say I would work with Woody Allen again. Like those two things do not track together for me. I agree. Um, and the other thing is just that I, I'm tired of this myth uh, around innocent until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. Of course a person is innocent until proven guilty, yes. right? Of course, uh, you know, in, in a lot of these cases. And um, it's different, like, to talk about a cultural movement mm -hmm. than talk about yeah. how this would play out in the criminal justice, you know, it's, it's yeah. very different things. And what we, when we talk about Woody Allen, we're talking about the story of his daughters and people related to him and their experiences that have stood up the test of time. I mean, one of the people central to those accusations is Ronan Farrow, who is considered one of the most powerful journalists in yeah. the Me Too movement. So this is not like a small thing. This isn't like some random thing that's been disputed. It's been pretty understood that Woody Allen has done things that are not okay and that folks should not be rushing to defend him. And it's like, you know what? You could love his work but just don't say these things. Just stop it. Why defend him? You know, just move thing, on. That's the thing, though. <laughs> the thing that always gets me with uh, celebrities and public figures is like, could have just kept your mouth shut. Didn't Real have easy. to say anything. Could have danced around that question. Mm -hmm. And yet you had to come to the defense 
of this person. Yeah. Which so. I also think when we see these celebrities speak out like this, and it keeps happening, especially with their faves, they're voicing an anxiety. I think a lot of men in this world currently, and I talk to lots of white straight men in media, and they're very anxious to be out for something one day. And I think you're seeing a lot of these men preempted by being like, let's be softer. Let's like, you know, more nuance to me too. I think we've overreacted. And I feel as if that's not the conversation we need to keep having. We need to keep centering people's stories, keep talking about the real abuse people are going to, going through, and not, you know, raise up these men who we know have done some terrible things. Yeah, or, you know, the, the big thing too is I don't think that anyone is saying that, uh, you know, you should a person should be able just to make an accusation mm -hmm. and immediately yep. that should be believed. I think, like, I think the overarching message is that, um, you know, like, we do want to take everything seriously yes. and also do the due diligence uh, to find the veracity yes. of any kind of claim. And so, you know, I get really frustrated when we hear about this me too mob when we actually mm -hmm. know that the bar is really high to come forward with your accusations yep. and the bar is really high often for there to be consequences for different kinds of actions yep. so i just want us to like talk about this in a smarter way um and not you know just stop playing into this like me too mob trope i so, agree that's I all agree. i'm asking for that's yeah. i think that's very good to ask for i think it's very fair <laughs> alex well let's take it to the timeline what do you make of jeff goldblum's statements let us know using the hashtag am to dm all right. And coming up next, I'll be talking to Danica Patrick yes. about her new podcast. The Race Car Driver Phenomenon. <laughs>from Eric Benjamin. Danica Patrick, love your pretty intense podcast, especially the one with your dad. And here's a tweet from Katie Koster about Gloria Steinem's pretty intense episode. That was fantastic. Here with me now is former professional race car driver and host of the Pretty Intense podcast, Danica Patrick, welcome. Thank you. So I too heard that Gloria Steinem episode. It was really enjoyable. Um, it, it's just really nice to hear you get to go in depth with people. Yeah. Um, so why did you wanna do this podcast? Uh, well, I mean, when I was in racing in the last few years, I, I really recognized the um, honor and ability to be able to inspire people mm -hmm. and to get them to think differently, whether it was about being um, a woman in a man's field mm -hmm. um, or, or now it's evolved into other ways of thinking differently and, and opening your mind up and to the possibilities of what you can do and what you're capable of as well as, um, you know, how to grow, right? Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, the, the real true change happens when you yourself decide to do it, not when someone tells you to. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of about how to inspire people to grow um, themselves. Uh, but I, I did a bunch of podcasts to promote my book, Pretty Intense. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had so much fun, and it was just really cool to be able to spend, you know, between, you know, anywhere 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Joe Rogan was two hours and 15 minutes wow. or something like that. Wow, wow. And I, 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 I thought, man, I, I'm so used to this five to seven minute format. Yeah. Of, Hi, I'm Danica, and okay, <laughs> and bye. Uh, and so I was overwhelmed by the idea of them being so long, but I realized that there was, it was a whole different mindset, and it was really, really fun. So, um, so that kind of put, put those two together and do a podcast. Yeah, and now we're here. Well, one of the things you mentioned is that it provides a kind of an opportunity for growth. Um, and you get to explore some of your other interests outside of racing from mental health uh, to fitness. Um, what were you most curious uh, to explore after you retired? I love the, I love the idea of, of, of what got people to get over uh, the hump or through a dark period. Um, just that truth, right? Because when someone mm. speaks their truth, um, 
bravely, uh, we can relate. Mm. We're maybe scared, but there's a community there for you. Mm. And so just that relatability goes, oh, wow, and that's what you did? Okay, that's where I'm at. I just totally lost. Like, I didn't know what to do. I thought maybe this is just a phase, but then, oh, I, there's hope when it's really bad. This is the best part. It means the other mm. side is growth, and I'll be happy. Um, so it's just that the human examples, but then I really love experts, scientists. I mean, Neil deGrasse Tyson's an astrophysicist. Mm -hmm. We had him on. I've talked to um, other doctors, scientists, experts, because part of learning is not just about the human story, but also through information. So it's a, it's a bit of both. Mm. Are there any similarities between podcasting and racing? Like, for example, morning television, internet television is definitely like a jolt of adrenaline. <laughs> so I wonder if you have anything like that um, when you're doing the podcast. I mean, I'm a little nervous before I do it. I'm always a little nervous. But I don't, do you get nervous before you interview people? You know, I think at this point, like, I accept that there are always going to be nerves. But <laughs> I, once I accepted that it's a part of the process, I actually don't feel it as much anymore. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll get used to it because, I, I mean, I was nervous to get in the car, and I'm nervous to interview people. But I'm, I'm like, as being on this side, I'm not nervous at all. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you're not asking me anything I don't have an answer to. <laughs> and if you are, then I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so I, I feel like the nerves are similar. Um, mm. There's a little endurance with podcasts um, and adapting. So yeah, in a race yeah. car, you're always adapting to what's going on. And then the same thing with a show. You're, you have a list of things based on the research I've done and the notes that I've taken and the flow that I can see a conversation going mm. um, and the way to bridge to each topic. But mm. the best ones are the ones that just take their own flow. And then you can reference your questions if it slows down at any point. Or they start talking about it, and you're like, oh, no problem. I'll go to number five. Um, mm. And usually it's about four or five topics that you want to hit. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can easily fill 60 to 90 minutes with four or five topics. I have to say, I'm a, a little envious that you get that much time <laughs> with your guests. Um, here's a tweet from Brittany Autry. Um, you and Aaron Rodgers are both so cute and adorable together. I love, 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 love your <laughs> podcast. Um, you said that you're actually planning to, to interview your boyfriend, Aaron Rodgers. Um, what are you going to ask him? Great question. I have not formulated <laughs> that interview yet. And uh, it's, oh, it's interesting. I, I was just talking to somebody who said that it's, they also believe it's, it's, it's harder to interview somebody that you know really well. Mm. You don't really know where to start. And yeah, you also don't know where the line true. is. Look, I'm, I'm super vulnerable and, and I'm willing to talk about a lot of things, but there's some things I won't talk about. I would think mm. everyone's the same. There's a, a certain comfort range and, um, and mine's pretty big, but there's still stuff I won't talk about. So in a relationship, you're like, hmm, where's the line? <laughs> or also you're, you're like, how do you talk to someone that in a way you're introducing them to your audience as well? Like, it's like you're jumping in in the middle of their story, but it's like, what do you need to give people? What kind of information do they need about this person? I find it's interesting to always hear a little bit about, you know, how they grew up um, because that forms them as a person mm -hmm. to some degree. So with all my guests, um, including I just interviewed a scientist and um, he's a professor at Harvard and whew, I felt a little over my head there, but, uh, but he, he's a he's a, he is an expert in anti-aging and I talked about his, where he grew up and his family. Mm -hmm. And he's like, wow, nobody's really ever asked me that before. And I said, I think it's important. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, well, I think you have to build the, build the character. 
Mm. Um, I think that's a, I think you have to build the character of mm. who they are, their beliefs, you know, um, what they want to accomplish and who they are and what drives them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can really start to dive into the more specifics. Mm. Well, I do want to ask you about a couple of things um, that have been in the headlines lately. Um, and last week, it circulated that you were actually helping Aaron and his brother Jordan, who we had on aim to dm um, recently, mend their relationship. Um, can you tell us about that at all? Like how it's going, anything like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that when you are on the inside and these headlines come out, you really realize that there is fake news out there. Mm -hmm. There is stuff that just comes out, and you're like, I don't know where that came from. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't, I don't know who said something or what or who a who a reference was. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I'm supportive of Aaron and and his choices, and um, we have a great relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, you also posted on Instagram. Good morning, Charlie. The secret is out. I'm an angel. Um, can you please tease a little bit from your cameo in this new film? Well, I mean, what do you think I'm doing in the film? <laughs> I'm teaching someone how to drive, maybe? Uh, so yeah, there was a bunch of us who uh, were able to make cameos in such an iconic yeah, movie yeah. like Charlie's Angels. And uh, we, 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 we taught from our expert field. So uh, it was really cool, really cool. Elizabeth Banks is so talented and so nice. And Naomi was wonderful. Um, we got to talk about England. She's English. And so, and she puts on a fantastic uh, American accent. In oh, oh um, really? Yeah, but she's, uh, she's from England. So we talked about England. I lived there for three years. So it was great. Yeah. Is there anything you can tell us about how well uh, they did when they took these lessons from you? <clears throat> um, I'm gonna bet that she probably passed with flying colors in the end. That's just my guess. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's like I think it's kind of like the Titanic. Like you, you know how it goes, but you got to see it. You got to watch it. Yeah. Well, but before, maybe I'm wrong. I, don't I know. mean, maybe she doesn't become an angel. I, I mean, I guess we'll have to stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, before we go, um, we're actually about to have a debate on the show about the best movie of the decade. Mm. Do you have any picks? You know, I'm not gonna lie. There was a, a, a question before I came on. They're like, you might be asked about it. Oh, okay, good. Like, Man, what? So you're not entirely. Years? I mean, it's so it's not. Hard. This isn't like off the. Because who can remember exactly what year was what? Like my first question was, what year was Gladiator? And it was like '99 or something like that. Because that would have probably mm -hmm. been my movie. But instead, we were thinking, thinking, and Inception came up, and I was like, oh, that's it. Yeah, don't Inception's even read anymore. Inception is Inception's my movie. Yeah, I, I find it's also just really hard to narrow it down, anyways. But that is yeah. definitely a good pick. Well, there's genres, right? I'm sure. You know, we could pick a genre and then have your favorite, and then you end up with, you know, five, six, seven favorites. Go from there. <laughs> well, listen, I wish that we had more time because it's been so great talking to you. We had 60 to 90 minutes. I know, for real. I hope my producers can hear that. <laughs> so, you can catch Pretty Intense on Apple Podcasts and many podcast platforms. Up next, we debate the best movies of the decade. Believe it or not, we are quickly approaching the end of the decade. And you know what that means? It's time to feel old and fight over the best and worst things created in this era. To do our part in the great decade debate, every Friday we will have a roundtable discussion to pick what we feel is the best of the decade. This week, we will focus on the best movie of the decade. And here to deliberate with me over this very hard category are Vulture film critic Allison Wilmore, Essence Entertainment Director Corey Murray, and our very own Zach Stafford. Hello. <laughs> hey, guys. Hi. So we're going to get into it. Just to start off so people know at home, we are looking for movies that were not only box office hits with critical acclaim, but had the kind of cultural impact that will make us remember it for decades to come. All right? Okay. So we're going to start by listing off our top threes, and then we'll take it from there. 
All right. Okay, so Allison, what are your top three? All right, well, first off, I wanted to go with a movie that I think best uh, sums up how sociopathic young white men uh, <laughs> mad about, uh, you know, women yeah, yeah, not paying enough attention you. to them thank kind you, of define you. a decade. Mm -hmm. So The Social Network. Okay, yeah, Social yeah. Network. I uh, wanted to get at least one non-American movie in there. So A Separation, which got some, you know, Oscar, Oscar accommodation okay. and it's also almost perfect. And then my number one favorite movie, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, Ooh, an really? apocalyptic movie for an apocalyptic decade. Oh, ah, I mean, ah, fitting. Yes, yes, that's a good pick. I didn't that think is, about that. that. Yes, okay, yes, 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 Corey, yes. what you got for us? So one of my picks is Tangled because in this decade, last decade, I became a mom. Right. And so, as a mother, you got to watch a lot of kids' movies. And <laughs> Tangle was the best. It was campy. It was had enough adult jokes, but it had a great soundtrack. Mandy Moore. Hey, I even bought the soundtrack. Okay. Jillian wasn't even old enough to even appreciate it. My second pick is Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, love, love Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, because so I was like, and I know it was kind of obvious, but I went into that movie not knowing anything about the culture. Okay, I did something really stupid though. I wore a kimono. <laughs> okay, we're gonna get into that. That's, we're gonna get into that. that, that yeah. let's, let's, and then my let's, top let's, let's, pick, let's, let's, Black Panther. Oh, okay. I mean, the <laughs> Okay, get right. back. Okay, mine. So I'm gonna start with the favorite. You know, Olivia yes, Coleman yes. really now is like a household name uh, yes. because of this, and we all needed a <laughs> film to show us how crazy our leaders are actually privately. Um, my next one would be Parasite, which is just out, and I oh, think it's just a stunning, it. stunning, stunning, stunning. Film. It's also a foreign yeah. film, so you know, gotta have that representation. And then finally, Moonlight. Oh, ah, uh, you had yeah. yeah. Black gay man. I have yes. to say Moonlight. I think we're, we're programmed <laughs> to say it. You're like Abby. It's um the choice I have. Okay, yeah. so mine. I think I have a couple unpredictable ones, but okay. I, I bring it home. So top, uh, my third pick going in is Gone Girl. That, I, that was on my short girl, list. Like, my short list. Right. Yeah. I think it hits like our obsession with missing white women and I mean like <laughs> just like craziness in social media, but we'll get into that later. Okay. With the Wolf of Wall Street. Because mm, I never saw it. I, I love it's, it's my favorite out of Leo's movies of this decade, but okay. it's also to me where I fell in love with Margot Robbie. Okay. Um it was funny, it was like just very I, I loved it. Um and in the same way Zach feels like because he's a black gay man, he has to pick Moonlight <laughs> as a black person. I gotta have Black Panther! <laughs> what kind of I gotta have Wakanda forever! <laughs> and okay? Okay, wow. so let's figure out from these four what should be in our top four. We're gonna okay, take okay. all of these and try okay. to bring them at least to a top four as a point. Okay. So is there any movie mentioned that we haven't seen? Like, I'll admit, I haven't seen The Separation. Mm -hmm. I haven't either, but I, I'm, I'm aware of it. Okay, yeah. and I haven't seen Parasite. But I've heard it's a perfect film from people who I trust. I think it's pretty good. Allison, what do you think about Parasite? Oh, I think Parasite? it's amazing. I know, it's hard to think about movies that came out this year yeah. in the decade, because yeah. you're like, go so far back, still starting out this year. Right. But I do think it's an amazing movie. What is it about? Because I, I, don't, I don't know this movie. It's like a movie about like class. There's two families, and one of them mm -hmm. is this wealthy one. It's your a rich pick. one. It's like this. a capitalism. It's about capitalism. It's a okay. great critique of that. But it also like is able to hit so many themes. Like, uh, it has, it's comedic. It okay. is a drama. It is horror. But it doesn't feel like any of those things. It doesn't get messy as it goes through all of that. So it's okay, like a okay. really wonderful. It's one of your picks. Do you think it deserves to be out of your picks? Which one of your picks you feel like has to be in top four? Moonlight. Okay, I think okay. we can agree. Yeah, can we agree, agree on the light? Like, I think that's an easy end to the top <laughs> four. Every yeah. shot yeah. is art. Yeah. Barry yeah. Jacobs yeah. can do yeah. no wrong. No. It gave us Travante Rhodes. It's, I mean, like. <laughs> but Mahershala Ali. It didn't give us Mahershala, but it did it make yeah. me love him more. <laughs> <laughs> Mahershala stole the scene in like two scenes. And it was like, it was, uh, it was between, yes. and then, you know, Andre. 
Holland, who we love. Yes. Um, Naomi all, Harris. All, um, yes. Jarrell Jerome. From when Let's they see real. us, Let's be real. that's that what it gave us him too. Um, like, yeah. and see, I, that's the impact. So impact. Like, it's yeah. not yeah. only yeah. acting wise, but culturally, mm -hmm. and just also just gorgeously it's so shot. Beautiful. Yeah, like, it yeah. Is, it's a very simple beautiful. narrative. Mm -hmm. I feel like, it's, but I do think it has so much impact yeah. too. Yes. Okay. Um, I think to combine me and Corey's choice of, um, yeah, I know, yeah, I think yeah. I want to talk about Crazy Rich Asians. Actually, okay. Do we think it's top four? How do we feel? I, so, as someone who is half Singaporean Chinese, yes. I have a lot of personal oh, attachment to okay. <laughs> That said, I don't know. I go back and forth on it. I think it's so fun. Yes. Uh, I do think it's maybe, like, a little unquestioning about being rich. Yeah. <laughs> like, we all would like to be it's it. It's hitting on the like, stereotype maybe, you know, a you little want, bit. Like, a little criticism in there, too. So, uh, Is it the rom-com of the decade? Ooh, that's a really that's good Because movie. I do yeah, feel like a, as somebody who loves as somebody who loves rom-com, yeah. I would be remiss to not yes. have a rom-com in yes. our top four. I don't I would, know. That's just like me I thinking. would give it that. Okay. I would say Because, yeah. you know, yeah. I have an honorable mention of Crazy Stupid Love that got shut down really early on in the edit room. I'm going to admit it. <laughs> yeah. Wait, that came out? Steve Carell. I love that. I right? It's that better. Yeah. I'm going to say it was the better Ryan Gosling, <laughs> Emma Stone compilation. It was better than La La Land to me. I'm sorry. Oh, yes. Also, I would like to say I'm glad none of us said La La I'm I so glad. I, 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 I knew I picked the there. right group, uh, but La La Land was, was like, not I'm mentioned. Not, I'm not and it. nobody picked The Star Is Born. I'm just gonna put that out there either. Oh, that movie was horrible. Oh, 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 yes. The best thing about it's that hot. movie was the it's song. It was um, horrible. Sorry. Okay, sorry. To get back to our choices. Oh, and I want to. Our last honorable mention that was not mentioned here today: Bridesmaids. Oh yeah, it's something Very that I was remiss that was not on our list. You know, I, it I did looked hit. at it as a as a contender, but I I wanted I remember seeing it and I wanted to laugh more. Mm. Mm. I, I went know. in there with high expectations. Yeah, I would agree with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah sure. I do. I think it like meant more like as far as like having a female driven yes. ensemble yes. slapstick comedy. Yes, it gave birth. It gave us Girls Trip and other yes. things that yeah. came yeah. after. Yeah. But I do think I don't think it's top oh four God, of I the didn't decade. Pick Girls Trip, but Girls Trip. <laughs> Corey, now we laughed. Anyway, it was great, girl. But let's not, let's not like, say what we were talking about. You know, I can only right, take this black right. car so far. I can't, I can't lie to it's the people. Mention. It is. It is. It is. Now, one movie that wasn't my taste, but Allison mentioned that I do think it's top four worthy because I keep hearing it is Mad Max. Yes. Fury Road. I love, just like the images of it are just like yeah. seared on my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so, like electric guitar with like the flame yes. shooting just out of it. Just going through the yeah. desert. Just, like the fact that also like, when so many things are like done with computers that they've had like actual cars, which was like horrible for the environment there, yeah. but looked amazing. <laughs> and I feel like you gotta salute that, you know? Yeah. And also I just feel like there's something about it as this kind of like bleak but incredible looking future that I'm right. like, eh, kind of relate to that. Yeah. And <laughs> I do want to touch on the social network a bit because I do think that's the most like millennial decade movie yeah. pick. Like Facebook, it kind of foreshadowed a lot of stuff that's happening now. Yeah, and I think it kind of relates to Wolf of Wall Street also in yeah. that yes. you just have these things that are like the people who are doing the things that like <laughs> are you change our world. Yeah. It's really worrying. <laughs> yeah. So out of your picks, which do you feel like has to be in the top four? I would say Mad Max. I want to okay. put Mad Max in Okay. I support, yeah. I support that. Do we support that? We I know support you haven't that. seen it, but okay, so out of your top, out of your picks, which one do you think should be the top four if it had to be? We already have uh, Black Panther secured. Um, we haven't discussed it, but I do think that Black Panther should be in the top four. For the culture. For the, right. I'm not only for the culture, but even though I liked it, but it was also, I enjoyed it. Like, it I remember, me, we, Corey and I saw it at the same time. Yeah. It was my birthday. It was quite a gift. <laughs> but I remember being in the theater and thinking, God, please let this be good. Yeah. And yes. aside from a few questionable African accents, 
I'm looking yes. at you. <laughs> I'm not gonna name names, but I'm looking at you. If you were in the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it was. I enjoyed the storyline. I enjoyed. The, it gave us Winston Duke. Ooh, it gave thighs, us. It gave us Baku. Baku. It gave us Michael B. Jordan with them Michael. dots. I wanted mm. to connect the dots. The whole. We were having experiences it in was, that it theater. Was so many when things. Chadwick and Michael were fighting, I know it was like a. I can give this the Oscar now. Yeah. Like I've never had this much fun in the movie. And how many before. times you see? Because the reason I put it on my list, I yeah. saw it four times. Yeah. I gave I it my money. Four I saw it so many and times. And I turned around and bought it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I still watch it. And I, I do think it was it. like so. I think it had the cultural impact, but it was also like we've never seen people show up like that before. No. I mean, us are like black people show up like that. And it went. It, it broke records. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think it gave you know it. It was the first of Marvel to be that way. It made a billion. And can dollars. I add on that? As someone who covers you know African American culture over the last ten years, I'm always giving like one movie that has like the friend, the, yeah. the you know the, the the lover or whatever. Mm-hmm. But this, we had to do everybody. Yeah. Yeah. We had to give everybody equal yeah. weight because they were all amazing. They were all and good. That was just unheard of at the time. Yeah, and I it was it. beautiful. And the Dora Milaje, I mean, come on, women fighting yeah. for everybody. It was great. It was literally a moment. So we have so far, as in our top four, I think we have Mad Max, yeah. Black Panther, Ooh. Moonlight. Moonlight. What's our fourth pick? I think that's on you. I mean, Black Panther out of mind was in there. Yeah. So I think, I think as a unit, I'm willing to say, like, do we want it to be Wolf of Wall Street? Do we want it to be Gone Girl? Which, you know, do we want it to be want Crazy to, Rich Asian? I'm kind of looking at social network. That's social what I was going to say, social network. Do we want yeah. it to be social yeah. network? Because yeah. of what, we're all on social media, yeah. and it was really the birthplace of Facebook, yeah. and to your point. Are we going to pick a movie with Justin Timberlake in it? No. <laughs> <laughs> giving, giving a speech, he's still, you know, the billion dollar speech. Jeez. still think about Jeez. that all the time. Oh my God, I can't remember oh. his name, but he's tall, and he played a twin. Cutie. Oh, oh um, what's his name? I'm <laughs> sorry. Has been lower. Army, Army Hammer. Army yes, Hammer. Yes, they gave Army us Hammer. Army Hammer. There's two of me. Yeah. There's two. Yes yes, 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 yes. Okay, so I like it. I think this is a good. Okay, so I'm we cool have yeah. Moonlight, Black Panther, Mad Max Fury Road, Social Network, yes. our top four movies of the decade. Right. I like good. it. I like it. Okay. I want to, we want to know what you think the best movie of the decade is. So take it to the timeline and tell us using the hashtag AM to DM. I could honestly talk about movies this decade all day. You guys have really made this a lot more classy of an affair than I thought (laughs) it would be. Nobody got dragged. Everybody's edges are still intact. I am very impressed with us. I think we're a distinguished group of journalists and I'm proud. (laughs) (laughs) And so we are out through the time, but more AM to DM will be up next. Welcome back. We asked for your top movies of the decade. Stuart Simmington tweeted, Ideas off the top of my head. Moonlight, Bridesmaids, Coco, Get Out, Call Me By Your Name, Parasite. That's a damn good list off the top of your head. I would like to say two of my picks were in that. And there I you know go. Stuart, so look at this. I'm a film critic, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and Christina Carrega added, Moonlight, The Post, Vice, huh. Fruitvale Station, the Hate You Give, Dope, Straight Outta Compton, and Get Out. Also oh, a great. great list, yeah. I'm going to watch all these this weekend if I have time. <laughs> and then Michael Blackman, you tweeted, Cats hasn't been released yet. And I say, I can't even hit. I, I love I love this tweet, actually. <laughs> Is I love, it really I going to be it. a best film of the decade? Best, worst best film. No, I best worst film. The best most worst anticipated film of the bad film of the decade, yeah, potentially. Yeah, I'm here for it. I want to do another segment on 
the worst of the past decades, but it's hard to just pick one, Oof. you know? We could go on and on for that. Yeah. Well, we're out of time now, but thank you to our guests, Matt Berman, Sylvia O'Bell, Allison Wilmore, Corey Murray, Will Sommer, Soledad O'Brien, and Danica Patrick. Next week, we've got Jonathan Van Ness, Anthony Porowski, Tim Robbins, Adrian C. Moore, and Cynthia Bailey. Oh God, Cynthia Bailey's here. Yeah, the House of Atlanta is really rolling through. Well, we will be back here on Monday at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your weekend, or rest of your day. Bye. Sorry. Sorry.